0: You know, David's on to something there. Um, because without bad news, they're really. Where, where do we have good news without the bad news? And we all like good news, but unfortunately, we live in a world full of bad news, right? No matter how you get your news, maybe you pick out the, the newspaper from the front porch in the morning, maybe you turn on the TV in the morning or the evening, or you open up your iPhone and, and go to the news app, or you pull it up on your computer. Um, whatever way news comes to you, there's a trend in today's age, and that is a trend towards bad news, right? It seems like most of the news is bad news. Reading the news is often depressing um, because of that. There's just so much bad news, and, and even when there is little snippets, little bits of good news, it's often insignificant. It's small. It's not lasting good news. Um, we live in a world full of bad news, but I've got some Good news. I have the good news. And, and, and fortunately, we do have good news in this world. But that, even that good news doesn't come without some bad news, without the bad news first. <clears throat> and so what I want to do this morning is I want to share the good news with you this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But before the beginning, before the beginning, there was God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and, and, and within that, that Godhead, there was this relationship, there was this community, there was this love that was we, so big, so great that we can't even understand it. And it was out of that love and that community that God wanted to create something else to bring into it. He wanted to extend it. And so, God created the heavens and the earth. And in six days, God created everything. He created the, the land, the sea, the stars, the, the sun, the moon. He created light. He created the plants. He created animals. He created everything on the earth. And on the sixth day, the pinnacle of his creation, he created man. He created man and women. But man was created differently. Different than the rest of creation. Man was created in the image of God. Man was created in the image of God, and he created man to be a part of that relationship, to be a part of that love that he had within himself. And God, in his infinite wisdom, before the foundation of the world, knew that in order to do that, in order for that to be real, to be authentic, God was going to have to give man a choice, either to follow him, either to be with him or not. And he did that in the form of a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and really, that tree wasn't magical. It needed no superpower or anything like that. It was simply a choice. And the choice was either to trust God, to follow God, to listen to God, or to trust in themselves, to follow their own way, to do what is right in their own eyes put themselves on the throne to be god themselves to determine what's right and wrong and that's ultimately what the choice was either to follow god or to go their own way we don't know how long they were in the garden living in paradise and perfection but we know that it didn't last and one day the serpent came the serpent he was an experienced self chooser he had been through this before he had chosen himself over God. And that day he comes to Eve and he tempts her. He lies to her. Did God really say? He says, "If God really, does God really love you? God doesn't want you to be happy. You need to go your own way. You need to know good and evil for yourself. You need to do what's right in your own eyes rather than trusting in God. And on that day... Adam and Eve together made that choice. They chose themselves over God. They did what was right in their own eyes. They turned away from God. And unfortunately, the punishment, the consequence for that, see, God created the world to to depend on him. He created humans to depend on him, to be with him. And so when they turn away from him, they can't survive without him. The punishment, the consequence for that was eternal separation from God, It was death. And they set the precedence for the rest of the human race, that every human after that would make that same choice, would be born into that same sinful rebellion apart from God. And that's the bad news, right? But God, because of how much he loved this creation, because of how much he loved Adam and Eve, how much he loved us. He didn't want them to be separated forever. You see, he knew, before the foundation of the world, he knew they were going to make this choice, and he already had a plan. From before day one, he had a plan to save his people, to provide a way for them to be with him forever. But it would cost him. He would crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would strike his heel. And from that point on, through the rest of human history, God was working out his plan to save his people. And it started with one man, a man named Abraham. And he made a covenant with him that he would, would from him, his family would become a great nation. And out of that nation, God would save the world. And finally, Abraham begins to see this promise played out when in his old age, he has a son. It continues on. The family grows from generation to generation until it becomes a great nation, the Israelites. And God is going to save the world through these people. But how in the world is he going to do that? Because they are just a mess. Time and time again, they turn away from God. Over the course of a thousand years, these people go through this same cycle over and over and over again. They do what's right in their own eyes. They turn away from God. So God delivers them into the hands of their enemies. They get captured. They get defeated. And, and when, when they're finally sick of that, they, they, they call out to God. They repent. And, and they ask for God to save them. So God saves a, sends a Savior. They're saved. They're redeemed. They're back with him again. And, and they love God for a little while. And then they do what's right in their own eyes. They turn away from God. And it happens all over again. How would God save the world? Through these people. And as we get to the end of the book of Malachi, although there is some distant hope, some vague, distant hope in the future, it's not looking so good right now because the people are turning away from God again. They're going their own way again. And the book of Malachi ends, and there's silence 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak. Has God forgotten? Has God given up? Would no more help come? And then, out of the darkness, out of the silence, a light shines, and there's noise. A voice calls in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. An angel comes to a young woman, and a Savior is born to you this day in the town of Bethlehem. A Savior, but... There's something different about this Savior. What what was foretold and yet what no one could have imagined, what no one understood, was that God himself would come down. That God himself would come to earth as a human to save the world. And that's what this little baby, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ was God himself come to save the world. God had come and he would save us. But then... Nothing happened. He was an extraordinary child, and yet for 30 long years, nothing happened. Everything stayed the same. Until finally, one day, through fire and water, Jesus came forth and he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he, he, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He was bringing God's kingdom to this earth. Here was the Savior that we needed. He told them them truths. He spoke with authority. He was such a great man, such a great Savior, and, he, and truly, this would be who God saves the world through. And as time went on, he gathered people to himself. He had 12 that followed him wherever he went, and thousands came at other times to hear him speak. But eventually, as time went on, as he started to say some more difficult things, people started to walk away from him. The religious leaders of the time rejected him actually came up with a plot to kill him, the thousands that were following him were following him no more. And eventually it was just his 12. And the night comes, that night, that night that was preordained since before the foundation of the world. Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest followers. He's arrested. The other, his other followers abandon him. He's put on trial. He's convicted is a criminal. He's beaten, he's flogged, he's mocked, he's ridiculed, and then he's taken to the place of the skull where he's crucified. Jesus, the Savior of the world, is killed, nailed to a cross, as a common criminal. It was over. No more help would come. But, What was too wonderful to behold, what the heart of man could not imagine, was that this was the plan all along. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that he would have to send himself and that he would have to die, that in order to defeat death, he would have to die himself. And he did. He died, but he didn't stay dead. No, on the third day, he rose again, defeating death itself. Taking our guilt upon himself and giving us his righteousness, Tearing down that that barrier of sin and providing a way for us to be saved, for us to be with him forever. And now, we tell the world about it. Because the story's not over yet. No, it's not over. He's coming back. Jesus is coming again. He's coming to get us. And that, my friends, is the good news. That is the good news of, of the gospel. When we, when we say gospel, that's what we mean is that, that good news, that story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the grave, that we could have life in him forever. And as we talk about that story, you've probably heard it before. I would say most of you in here have heard that, that message in one way or another, in one form or another. You've heard this message before. And so maybe the question comes, why did we need to hear it again? Right? Why, why, did, why did you tell us that again? I've already heard that before. And, and sometimes that's kind of how we view the gospel, right? It's, sometimes we view it as this beginning point at Christianity. We, we teach it to kids and we teach it to unbelievers and new believers you need to know that first. But once you get that down, once you believe in that, then you can move on to more important things. You can move on to bigger things, deeper theological things. You can, you can dig deeper into, into the Bible and, and get so much more out of it. And yet what I'm here to tell you today is that that's not, that's not true. There is nothing more than the gospel. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. There's nothing bigger than the gospel. The gospel is this right here. The this, this story of the Bible is the good news. And so we never move on past the gospel. We never go to something bigger or something greater. It's where we rest. It's where we stay. It's where we find the truth of God is in the gospel. And so what I'm here to tell you today is that you need to remember this. You need to be reminded of this on a regular basis. In fact, what I'm going to tell you today is that you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to hear this message every day. And I've got a few reasons why you need to, re- you need to pre- preach the gospel to yourself every day. And these reasons, um, I actually, they come out of a book that I read recently. Some of them do. And um, this book, this is actually, this whole, this whole message today is coming out of what I'm learning in that pastor training program that I'm going through called Convergence, if you've heard me talk about that. And uh, the, the book is called The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. And... What it is, is it's, he starts off with 31 reasons why you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. It actually works great as a devotional book. Take a month and go through one reason each day. And then um, in in the last half of it, he has two gospel narratives in it. One that's written in prose, which is kind of just verses, and the other which is a poetic. It's like reading the gospel in the form of a poem. And and he just lays it out, the whole story of the gospel, pretty shortly in those two narratives. And and this is such a great resource for preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And I wanted to let you know that in case you wanted to look it up. I'm not being paid by him or anything to say this. Um, This is a genuine review. Um, and, And so... I've got five reasons this morning why you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. The first reason why you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day is because the Bible tells us to. That's actually a pretty good reason, isn't it? If you believe that The Bible is true. If you believe this is the inerrant word of God, it's worth listening to, right? And something that a pastor says, it's worth saying, okay, where is that in the Bible? Because the Bible doesn't explicitly say that. Um, Paul never says, thou shalt preach the gospel to thyself every day. Um, It's said more subtly in other ways. And and where I see it, a very clear um, place where this says this is in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, when we read that verse, it seems fairly insignificant to us, right? We're not in Rome. He's talking to the Romans. Um, and yet, there, there's something bigger here, because as we look at the context of this letter, so he's writing a letter to a church in Rome. Now, this church in Rome, he, he's never been to before. He didn't start this church, but he's heard about it. And he's never been there, but he wants to go. He, he says in, in Romans, I, I want to see you. I can't wait to see you. I'm going to try and come and see you. And when he comes and sees them, he wants to preach the gospel to them. But right, this church in Rome, they 're a church, meaning that they 're full of believers, they're full of Christians, they 've heard the gospel before, they 've heard the gospel. And so why does he need to preach it to them again if they 've already heard it? Not only that, but as, as you read through the book of Romans, Paul very clearly spells out the message of the gospel in this letter that he 's writing to them. Um, really, one through eleven in, in Romans is the gospel, but especially in chapters five through eight is a very clear representat- very clear proclamation of the gospel. And so he he's, he's, they've already heard the gospel. He's about to tell it to them again, and yet he wants to come and preach the gospel to them. This isn't a one-time thing. This is something they need to hear again. This is something we need to hear again on a regular basis. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, Paul writing to the Corinthians um, has, has some similar words for them. Um, not, not in the same way, because he has been to Corinth before. But in chapter or verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And, and then he continues on, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, there's two very important things we see in there. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul thought it was important to remind them of the gospel. And then later in verse 3, he says, I delivered to you of first importance, this is of first importance. And that doesn't just mean this is the first step in becoming a Christian. This is what I first told you. It's of first importance. This has lasting importance. It's, it's, it's first and foremost. You need to be reminded. You need to keep coming back to it. We see this in other of Paul's writings. Paul regularly, in his letters to churches, proclaims the gospel. He lays out the gospel for them. You look at Ephesians 1-3, through 3, that's the gospel. Like I said earlier, Romans 5-8, through 8. in other of Paul's letters, he, he tells them the message of the gospel. Even if they've already heard it, they need to hear it again. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the Bible says so. Number two reason why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day is because it's a daily battle to believe. What I mean by that is that constantly throughout our day, we are, we are, we are constantly barraged with, with two things. With bad news and with false good news. All throughout our day, as we go go to work or school, as we go anywhere, we're hearing bad news and false good news. So if we're constantly hearing that all day long, how much more do we need to be hearing the gospel all day long to combat that? Because how easily do we forget? How easily do we we fall astray? when we hear all these things, we start to believe them. If we're not constantly battling that with the truth in our lives, we need to hear the truth every day. And, and, and Paul talks about that um, once again in, in 1 Corinthians, in, in chapter 1, talking about the, the foolishness of, of the world um, but, uh, and, and the wisdom of God. Um, the foolishness of God is, is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need to hear the wisdom of God. We need to be hearing God's word um, over, over man's. Um, and, and, and he also, he talks, uh, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 4 about the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And so, so we know that. Satan has blinded their eyes and he's trying to blind our eyes. And so we're constantly hearing this bad news or this false good news. It's a daily battle to believe. And as I was thinking about this, another example of this that I saw was <clears throat> um, about six years ago this month, I, I got married to my wife right? And on that day that I got married, I told my wife I loved her. In fact, on the day of my marriage, I can remember this, I told my wife that I would love her forever, right? I said, I'm going to love you forever. Um, And I haven't had a need to tell her since, right? Like I said it once, I'll love you forever, I'm good to go, (laughs) right? No, of course not. I need to remind my wife every day that I love her. Multiple times a day, I tell my wife I love her. She constantly needs that, that, that remembrance. She needs to be reminded that I love her. And guess what? I need it too. I need to remember that my wife loves me on a regular basis because we so easily forget. And so if I, how much more do I need to be reminded of how much Jesus loves me? And I hear that best through the message of the gospel. It's a daily battle to believe. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Number three, why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day is because it's the power of God. Now, I want to take a moment and just stop and think about the power of God for a moment because it's easy as I say that, that it's just, it's such, just such a big, vague thing that how do we even understand it? But you, you've seen the power of God in the world, Right? And, and this is the, the almighty, uncreated God who created everything. Almighty, all the power. He has all the power. And we see his power in so many places. Think about that waterfall, just the power of a waterfall. And that's the power of God in creation. Think about other ways that you've seen creation. The trees, tall trees, and you just see the power of God in creation. So we can see the power of God in so many ways on the earth. And yet... The Bible only describes two things as the power of God. Now I'm not saying that creation doesn't exemplify the power of God, but Scripture only describes two things as the power of God. And we see them both in 1 Corinthians 1 here. In 1 Corinthians 1:24, we see Jesus, the power of God. Christ, the power of God. Jesus is described as the power of God. And that makes a lot of sense, right? We can see that. God translated into humanity, God come to earth. The, the power of God is shown through Jesus' life, and, and so we can see the power of God in Jesus, but there's one other thing that's described as the power of God. And that is, we see it in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who will perish, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That message of the cross, that's the gospel, right? It's the power of God. Romans 1:16 says I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God for all who believe. That this this gospel the best way to know the power of God to experience the power of God is through the gospel. What he did on the cross with Jesus that is our best that is the best representation that's the best expression of God's power. It's in the gospel. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because it is the power of God. And that's where you're going to find the power of God. Number four is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because it's how we stand against Satan. It's how we stand against the evil one. And we've talked a lot about spiritual warfare and Satan and, 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 and our battle against demons and those principalities and powers. This last year we've spent some time talking about that. Pastor Bob did a series on spiritual warfare and, and so, as we talk about that, hopefully you're familiar with that, how we stand against the evil one. And when we talk about that, the, the number one place, the best place to go for that is in Ephesians 6, right? How do we stand against the schemes of the devil? In Ephesians 6, Paul says, to put on the armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, right? The armor of God. What is the armor of God? Well, take another look at it. The armor of God is the gospel, Think about those different pieces of armor. The helmet of salvation, that's the gospel. The shoes of the gospel of peace, that one's kind of obvious. That's the gospel, right? The, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, all these components are the message of the gospel. We need to be clothing ourselves in the gospel. We need to be remembering, reciting. We need to be preaching the gospel every, to ourselves every day to stand against Satan. Because we stand against him in truth, in the truth of God's word, That if you're remembering the gospel throughout your day, every lie that Satan throws at you, guess what? You've got truth to go against it. You've got truth to stand against it in the gospel. The fifth reason why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, and this is kind of the bigger picture one. This is the one where we really live it out in our lives that I see. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because everything we do... We do in light of the gospel. The lives that we live, we live in light of what the gospel says. Now, what I mean by that is that if Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, that should change the way that we live, right? Um, It it should. And, And I was trying to think of other things in my life that have changed the way, have changed my life in a big way, that have influenced all the areas of my life. And as I was thinking about it, getting married is one of those big things, that you get married and that kind of changes a lot of things, you know. Even if you have the same job, you're doing your job for more than just yourself now. You're doing it for your wife. And it influences all these other ways. When you have kids, right, that really changes your life. It changes everything you do. And so it has a big impact on the rest of your life. And I would say that the gospel needs to have the same, even more so, a bigger impact on your life, that everything in your life is influenced by the gospel. And sometimes thinking about it in the negative sense helps us see this. You could ask yourself the question, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, would my life be any different? Would it? And if it's not, if it wouldn't be any different, then do you really believe it? Because if Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, then that changes everything. That changes everything in your life. If everything you do, you go, okay, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, now I step into this. Now I do it this way. And I've seen this in so many areas of my own life. One recent one that's been huge is over um, over Christmas and New Year's, Jill and I um, have been reading, my wife Jill, and I have been reading a book together on parenting. And, uh, you know, I've read a couple parenting books, and, and, and Jill's read a few more. And, and some of them are helpful, and some of them aren't. I, you know, um, I have a friend who told me, you know, it's too bad they don't come with an instruction manual. <clears throat> but this one just blew them all out of the water. It's called Parenting by, by Paul Tripp. And the reason why it did is because it's not just helpful advice. It's not about manipulating your kids into believing in Jesus, because that's not a good thing. Um, it's What it is, is he goes through the gospel and he says, okay, if this is true about the gospel, then this is what we do when we parent our kids. One of the ones that hit me in a huge way was you go back to kind of more the beginning of the gospel, and that is the fact that we are dead in our sins, right? There's nothing we can do to be saved. We are totally depraved. On my own, I can, I can do no good, right? So I'm dead in my sins. And guess what? So are my kids. My kids are dead in their sins. My kids are, are totally depraved. And I know you guys think my kids are cute, but they're, they're, they're dead in their sins. They're children of hell, right? Until they believe in Jesus and accept him as their savior, they are. And there's nothing I can do to make them love Jesus. There's nothing I can do to control them, to, to, to change that, that outcome, right? I cannot do anything on my own power to change my kids. Because I can't do anything in my own power to even change myself. It has to be God. And so now all of a sudden that that approach changes. It's not about controlling your kids. It's not it's not about trying to, to you know to affect your kids with behavior change so that they're good citizens one day. What is the goal of of your parenting? Because it's not to for me, it's not to to have good good upstanding citizens someday. The goal with my parenting is that they would love Jesus with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And I can't make that happen. What I can do is I can pray to God, and I can show them Jesus every day. And I can show them Jesus in every situation, and I can present the gospel to themselves in every area of their life. That changes how we parent, right? And as you go through the whole gospel, you see in all these different areas how that affects your parenting. The gospel changes your relationship with your husband or wife, right? Right? It changes the way you live, the way you interact with your husband or wife. In Ephesians, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, if Christ never died on the cross, if he never gave himself up for the church, then, then, I, have no, then I have no direction on how to love my wife. But because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I know that I'm supposed to love myself in the same way. And that's, that's, that's huge, isn't it? And that's a pretty big weight on, on our shoulders, men, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But once again, I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus to do it through me. It changes the way we go to school. For those of you that, that are going to school right now, you know, if you think about that, how do you go to school? Would anything change if, if Jesus hadn't died for your, for, on the cross for your sins? <clears throat> Well, why do you go to school? Maybe that's one reason. Do you go to school to get good grades to make your parents happy? That's often the case, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you that you shouldn't. That's not why you should go to school. Now, if you go to school and get good grades and make your parents happy, that's great. But that shouldn't be your reasoning, right? Because that's not the the point of this. If Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, he's holding you to a higher calling. And guess what? It's not about getting good grades, Now, that doesn't mean that we should be lazy. That doesn't mean that we should just disregard all homework or or, or that kind of thing because we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ in our schools. But our goal should be, how do I show people Christ? Where is the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the people around me? Because that's what it's really about. How can this help me in the future with proclaiming the gospel of Christ? Because that's what this is all about. The gospel influences what you do at work. If Jesus Christ has not, has not died on the cross for your sins, then work is about money, right? Getting money, getting promotions. And, and ultimately, I, I, when I thought about it, it was, it was two big things. It's about getting money, making money, and it's about feeling satisfied with yourself, right? Accomplishing something, getting work done. And, and that's what work is about. If Jesus hasn't died on the cross, that's all that there is in work. That's kind of sad. But if Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, then there's so much more. There's something so much greater that it's not just about money. Who cares about that promotion? Be where God has you and be ready to tell them of the hope that you have. Be ready to tell them of the good news that you have, which is the gospel. And that changes so much of our lives. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. And what I don't want is I don't want this to turn into legalism. I have to do this because I'm just supposed to because, you know, because then you're missing the point of the gospel if, if you fall into legalism. The, the point isn't that. What I want is I want you to be so in love with the gospel, so in love with Jesus, to, to love that message so much that you want to be hearing it. You need to be hearing it every day because that's, that's how it helps you live. Make it a part of your daily routine, but let it be fresh. Let it be because you want it to be there. You know, there's a couple things that I do every single morning. And so every single morning, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I go and I turn on our pellet stove. We heat our house with a pellet stove. So at least in the winter. In the summer, I don't do it. But in the winter right now, I turn on our pellet stove. Now, do you think I ever forget to turn that on? See, we don't heat our house at night. And so it's pretty cold when I wake up in the morning. You think I ever have to, you know, two hours later, I'm like, oh, I never turn that on. No, because I'm freezing when I wake up in the morning. So the first thing I, I want to do is turn on the pellet stove. And then you know what the second thing I do is? I go turn on the hot water for coffee, right? Does anyone have to remind me to drink coffee in the morning? Do I ever forget, ever get halfway through the day, oh, I didn't have any coffee today? No, that never happens, Right? It should be the same thing with the gospel, that it's just a part of, a part of who I am. I want to remember it. It's, it's, a, it's a constant thing of reciting it, remembering it, rehearsing it, preaching it to myself every day. Till we get to this point where we're, we're gospel fluent. You've heard of fluency in a language before. Hopefully, you know, you're probably fluent in English. Um, and so, you know, but they tell you when you're learning a foreign language that you really know it, you're really fluent when you start to think in that language. You ever heard that before? When you start to just naturally think in that language, that's when you're really fluent in it. It's the same thing with the gospel. You're fluent in the gospel when you just, your, your thoughts are about the gospel. When you're watching a movie and you're thinking, what does that have to do with the gospel? Or what false gospel is in here? What counterfeit gospel is in here? How would the gospel answer that question that they're having? And, and and yeah, it'll kind of ruin movies for you, but you know what? That's okay, because there's something so much greater in that story of the gospel than there is in every, any movie that you're going to find out there. One of the things that we do in this church, um, whether you've noticed it or not, it is one of our goals, and especially Pastor Bob, because he is, he's up here preaching most weeks, is to preach the gospel every Sunday. That every Sunday, in the midst of whatever we're doing, whatever passage we're doing, we're pointing out the gospel in that passage. We're showing, we're preaching the gospel to you in that passage. So, so every single Sunday, you can come here, and you can hear the gospel. And if, ever you, if you ever don't, I give you permission to, to tell one of us, say, I didn't hear the gospel this Sunday, because we want to be preaching this every Sunday. And you know, I was paying attention the last couple of weeks. I mean, I always pay attention, but um, <laughs> very specifically to this, to, this, to this point, and man, It was so obvious, so in your face on the 17th and the 24th. On the 24th, Pastor Bob went through these these four things. uh, Futility, nativity, Calvary, glory. Guess what? That's the gospel. Right? Listen for it. Listen for the gospel every week. Preach the gospel to yourself every day because it will influence everything you do, every part of your life. I want to finish off just by giving you two more short versions of the gospel, two more different proclamations. And ultimately, there's a lot of different, not, not a lot of different gospels, but a lot of different ways of, of hearing, of saying the gospel. And so you don't, when I talk about gospel, you don't always have to do that, that first one that I talked about, the, or the, the story that I told at the beginning. Um, that's one way of doing it. Like I mentioned in this book, he, he has a couple other ways of doing it. And uh, in that story I, I told at the beginning, I have that typed up, kind of in a different, longer version of it. If you, if you want a copy of that, I'd be happy to give that to you. But, but have, have at your, in your fingers several different ways of, of hearing the gospel, of reading the gospel, of reminding yourself of the gospel. And there's many different, different tellings of it in, in this book as well, in the Bible as well. Ephesians 1 through 3, that's the gospel. Romans 5 through 8, that's the gospel. In Acts 2, Peter proclaims the gospel at Pentecost in a, in a pretty short, short version of it. There's so many places in the Bible. In many of Paul's letter, he, he, writes, he preaches the gospel to them. You can hear the gospel in so many different ways in the, in the, in the Word of God, in Scripture, and in outside ways as well. Um, but there's two that I want to finish with. The first one is the shortest version of the gospel. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. It says, it's five words. You can remember five words. Christ died for our sins. That's the shortest version of the gospel. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't have any, you know, that doesn't talk about the the creation or it doesn't talk about the fact that Jesus is coming, coming again, but you can unpack that out of that statement. And so, at least that statement is a starting point. And so, at least, at the very least, if you just repeat those five words to yourself every day as you go throughout your day, Christ died for our sins. And how does that change my life? And then there's one final one that I want to end with. And it's, it's out of Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 5. And this is a great, another really great one to read. Even, it's even worth memorizing, just to know to know this, this, this message of the gospel. And so I, w- I want to end with that today. In Ephesians 2, chapter 1, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Pray with me. Lord, God, we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Lord, that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, to raise to new life, to give us life in you forever, that we have been made alive in Christ, Lord. We thank you for that, God, and we will praise you for all of eternity for what you've done. Lord, I pray that we would remember this message, that we would remember... That message of the gospel every day of our lives, God, that we wouldn't forget it, that we would rehearse it, that we would let it run through our minds, that we'd live our lives in light of that message every day, God. That you would be doing a great work in us through the gospel in our lives, and you'd be doing a great work in the people around us as we proclaim the gospel to them, Lord. Your power is in the gospel, and I pray that we would remember that, that we would know that. Work your gospel in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.